What drives the crowds out to the desert? People from the whole Judean countryside and all Jerusalem go out to the desert to see John. People of every class and station, Pharisees and tax collectors and soldiers all go out to John. Could it be mere curiosity? That's a long ways to travel and a hard journey to go by foot just to see a man shouting in the desert. It's a long ways to go to be bathed in the muddy waters of the Jordan River. What were they looking for? What drove them to the desert in such great numbers? They went in search for peace. Not a political peace, which a single, scrawny, unarmed man like John the Baptist could hardly offer them, but the peace of being right with God, the peace of a clear conscience. The Gospel says that John appeared in the desert proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is our most fundamental need, and there can be no peace without it. Until we're reconciled with God, there's no peace for us. Nothing can bring us peace. You know, there are many techniques that are being taught these days about how to attain or acquire peace, and they have some merit as far as they go. Breathing techniques or going to the beach and listening to the waves. There's something to it, but we can't exhale our guilt and be rid of it. And the waves, as wholesome as they are, can't wash away the stain of sin. We need the peace that comes from God. You know, you could pay off your student debt, balance your budget, wrap up all your projects for the year, but if you're not right with God, you'll have no peace. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee, though no one pursue them. Isn't it true that when we have a sin on our conscience, we're restless and unhappy, even if there's very little risk of being found out? This is one of the principal themes driving the story of crime and punishment. Maybe you've read the, the great Russian novel by Dostoevsky. It tells the story of an impoverished young scholar, Raskolnikov, who decides that to get out from under his debt, he's going to murder and rob this miserly old pawnbroker. And he convinces himself that his action is justified because with that money that he's going to steal, he's going to carry out great deeds for humanity. So he does it. He sort of botches the job, ends up killing her sister as well. And then he's tormented by a guilty conscience to the point of delirium. He falls into a fever. He can hardly think straight. At many points, he's tempted to go to the police and turn himself in because he's tortured by his guilty conscience. Well, in that state, he falls in love with a young woman named Sonia. She's a beautiful character. She has this great tenderness, but she finds herself in a terrible situation. Her father is, is a drunkard. Her mother is consumptive, and so her younger siblings are starving. And, and to be able to put food on the table, she sells herself into prostitution. Well, Raskonkov meets her, and, and he's fascinated with her. He falls in love with her, and he decides to confess the murder to her. Well, she's appalled, and she convinces him to turn himself in 
to the, the courts. He does, and he sends to hard labor in Siberia, eight years of hard labor in Siberia. But she goes with him. And the combination of her merciful love, her faith, and the rigor of the punishment lead to his redemption. There in Siberia, he finds peace. Well, true peace can only come from repentance and mercy. You know, maybe you've tried justifying your sin, like Raskolnikov, and you've found that your conscience just won't hear it. Once in college, I, I did something that I was really ashamed of. And so I called a friend who was more of a scoundrel than I was because I knew he would tell me, hey, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. I knew he would try to placate my conscience. And that's just what he did. He patted me on the back. He said, don't worry about it. Forget about it. But of course, my conscience wasn't so easily silenced. So you can adopt a new moral code. You can become a relativist. You can call your, your friend and, and ask them to tell you it's not a big deal, to tell you just what you want to hear. But until God himself tells you peace, you will have no peace. And how he wants to speak that word to you. We heard in the second reading, he's patient with you, not wishing that any should perish, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's longing to reconcile us to himself. But that's only possible if we repent. Because God is truth. He is truth. And so he can only establish peace on the basis of the truth. He can never establish peace with us on false terms. Today's psalm says, Kindness and truth shall meet. Justice and peace shall kiss. Where? Where is it that kindness meets truth? Where is it that justice and peace kiss? In the sacrament of confession. That's where we bring forth the truth of our guilt and it meets the kindness of God. That's where justice and peace kiss because there in the sacrament of confession, the justice won for Jesus by us on the cross when he laid down his life becomes ours and we receive peace with God. We're reconciled to God there in the sacrament of confession. That's where kindness and truth meet. That's where justice and peace kiss. It's in the sacrament of confession that God restores peace to our souls by forgiving our sins and reconciling us to himself. So I want to urge you to make a good confession in preparation for Christmas. What is this whole season of Advent? It's a preparation to encounter the Lord, to receive him. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas, that God comes to us. And so we need to prepare ourselves. There are three elements to a good confession. You need to confess, repent, and believe. Confess, repent, and believe. First, confess. So hold nothing back. If there's a sin that's been weighing on your conscience for a long time, bring it to confession. I remember when I was in high school, I was hanging out with some friends at home and my parents came home unexpectedly and so we took these beer bottles and we just hid them behind the furnace in, in the basement. 
And they, I think they're still there to this day because I was so scared of even going and taking them out and throwing them in the trash. I had in my mind, my mom's going to open the trash one day or she's going to catch me as I'm sneaking out with them. And, and so that was always there in the back of my mind, like tormenting me. This fear that, you know, every time I heard my mom going down to the basement, I, I would think, oh no, she's going to find them. Well, what is it? What, what are your, your rattling beer bottles? What is it that you have hidden from your past that you've never brought to the light of God's mercy? Bring it to Him. He's, he knows it already. He's paid the price for it. Just bring it forward to Him and let Him give you peace. So the first step is to confess. To make a good, honest confession. To hold nothing back. The second step is to repent. That is to renounce that sin. Leave it behind. It does little good to confess it without any intention of leaving it behind. That doesn't mean that you have to guarantee that you'll never fall again. You know, there are some persistent sins that have become a habit in our life, and we know our own frailty. And maybe you've tried again and again to leave it behind, and you haven't found the strength yet. Okay, you don't have to go to confession guaranteeing that you'll never fall again. But you do make a promise that you're going to fight. That you're going to trust in the grace of God. And let me tell you that I've seen so many people break free. When they make a good confession and they renounce their sin. And, and maybe they've tried a thousand times. But it's the thousand first time that the God gives them the grace. And, and they break free. And they begin to live a new life. You don't know. It could be this Advent, this Christmas, that the Lord gives you breakthrough. So the second step is to repent. First confess, and then repent. The third step is believe. When the Lord says, you are forgiven, believe Him. Believe His word. The Lord said to Isaiah, comfort, give comfort to my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her servitude is at an end. Her guilt is expiated. These words are all the more striking because at another place through the prophet Jeremiah, God criticizes those false prophets who proclaim a false peace. They say, peace, peace, when there's no peace. So the fact that God is telling Isaiah to proclaim comfort, to speak tenderly to his people, well, when God says that, we have to believe him. So when you've confessed your sins and God himself has told you peace, take him at his word. There's no place any longer for wallowing in your guilt. He's your judge. And if he says your debt is forgiven, it's forgiven. He knows the price he paid. It was the blood of his only begotten son that he spent to pay the debt of your sin. So if he says you're forgiven, believe him. Advent's a time to prepare for the coming of the Lord. He is our peace. Wouldn't you love to, to be there in the manger with Mary and Joseph and the shepherds? Wouldn't you love for your heart to be like that manger? A simple, a poor place, but a place where the Lord can come. Let's prepare ourselves for that in these last weeks by making a good confession and letting the Lord bring His own peace to our souls.